A warning to our listeners. Some profanity is used in this episode. On New Year's Eve 2006, as so many of us were getting ready to watch the ball drop, Erica Sirioni, a 26-year-old mother of two, was in trouble. She would call and ask for some money, and we'd talk, like, and I'd tell her, like, I'm not giving you money to go get some drugs and shit. Like, before when she would call, I'd answer every call. Now I'd ignore some calls, you know, because I just was assuming. She wanted me to come bring her some money or something, and I blew her off. From the day in New London, Connecticut, I'm Carlos Virgen, and this is Case Unsolved. This week, we bring you the last part of the Erica Sirioni story. Here is reporter Lindsay Boyle. Dennis Ragsden, the friend you heard from in episode one, might be the last person Erica talked to. Now, she she called, and I just had assumed it was about that, but then her voice was just saying, um... I need your help. And she was saying she was by division. And I was like, help with what? She was like, only you can stop them. I never got that point. Like, only I can stop them. Police never recovered the phone, a prepaid Motorola Erica's family had gotten her for Christmas. They never found her purse or her ID either. But records show the phone was last used at 11.50 p.m. We can't say for sure whether that's when she called Dennis. He can't remember what time it was. Yeah, that's a, it's a phone call that lives in my head forever. And it's going to be there. You know, and I try to put two and two together. Only I could stop them. I mean, there's not a lot of people in the streets that did mess with me. So I, I kind of just took it as that. But... I don't know what else to make about it. Dennis said he had to leave several messages before he finally spoke to an officer about the call. The conversation only lasted a few minutes. Finally, I told her mom, and her mom's like, call this person and tell them. I'm like, I've been telling them and leaving them messages. I was like, nobody's calling the care. Nobody. Nobody's calling the care about a girl that, you know, walked the streets at night and parted her memories away. Like, nobody, nobody, nobody gave a shit. What's that mean about this guy? He called me like three years later. Carol Sirioni, Erica's mom, said she's not sure why it took Dennis so long to call. And says, look, he goes, um, Erica had called me that night saying that this guy in a dark colored car, you know, wouldn't leave her alone. And would he please come, because they were the same size. And he told me, he goes, well, I'll give you a call back, but right now my son is sick and I got to tend to him. So she goes, okay. And he never heard from her again. And when he did try to get a call back, nobody answered. So what did happen to Erica that night? Her mom has a few different theories. Maybe Erica voluntarily got into a car to go somewhere with someone. And then that girl that came to my house and said, oh, she came looking, um, what was her name, Kelly? Kelly Baez, I think. Kelly was an acquaintance of Erica's. She came to Carol's house looking for Erica on New Year's Day, 2007. She came to the house and said something about, oh, Erica's fine. She went on a road trip, as uh, 
where? I don't know, a road trip. And then she says, oh, she went in a white truck. But then she denied it to the police. Maybe Erica's involvement in selling drugs finally caught up to her. What she did, I guess she was like, um, this guy named And I guess if he sold, like, um, drugs, she would run him, you know, to the people that bought him. We've omitted the man's name. We don't want to accuse anyone of a crime we aren't sure they committed. Because I had a couple come to my house and threaten Erica because I guess gave her some bad stuff and Erica didn't know it, so she gave it to the, you know, them. So she had to go back to and tell he's got to go make it better because she's out. And that's why I wonder if he didn't do something. Maybe it had something to do with a woman she had seemed afraid of just a week earlier. The Saturday before she disappeared, I was taking my daughter home, my other daughter home. And we're going down um, the hill and Erica was there and this whack old girl was there and she had a bottle and she was threatening everybody with a bottle. So I told Erica, I said, why don't you go up the house? She goes, oh, uh, um, she looks scared. She says, I'm fine, I'm fine, ma. Go on, I'm fine. And she came to the house later, so I figured, well, everything was okay. But now I'm really wondering because in the following week, she disappeared. Or maybe it was an accident. I don't know how people could do that to a person. You know, I, I mean, if, if she overdosed or anything. Why don't they just take it to an emergency room and dump her, you know? At least she could have been found. Or, or if it was accidental, why don't they just turn it in? You know, why? Or you just get a hold of me, even. Carol may never have the answer. All she knows is that detectives' investigation led them to Boswell Avenue, a street that runs parallel to Division Street in Norwich, where Carol used to live with her two daughters and their children. They did have a guy come down, um... I can't think of his name. He came down and he stood in the middle of Boswell Avenue and said that's where Erica was last seen. I hadn't seen her in years before she disappeared um, because I was living in Massachusetts at the time with my now ex-husband. Sarah Mack got to know Erica in late 1999. But she left Connecticut in the early 2000s. Um, the last time I spoke with her um, was in June of 2006. We talked on the phone. She told me she had trouble uh, with some money issues. Sarah said she happily would have given Erica some money, but she never got a chance. Not long after their call, she was arrested for a domestic issue involving her husband at the time. I feel like if I would have went out to Connecticut on the day of our conversation or even the next day of our conversation to hand the money, that it's possible she would have still been alive. Because if that rumor is true that she owed somebody money for drugs and she was in something deep that she couldn't get out of, that's not a conversation we had on the phone. I feel it was, uh, they were having fun that night and then something bad happened. And uh, we don't know, we don't know exactly what happened and we don't know how, we don't know where, um, and we don't know with who, but I, I have a strong feeling that's, I've always had a strong feeling that's, that's, that's what happened. And I've said that since day one. Erica's nephew, Jason Pagan, was just four years younger than her. 
Growing up, they fought and played like siblings. As she became increasingly caught up in the drug scene, they grew apart. In my mind, what I was thinking was she hopped in a car and that person, like the stories you hear, you know, it's just they were a bad person and something happened. In my mind, it was she was dealing with some bad people and she was stealing from these people. And you could understand or imagine the things she was possibly stealing. And they finally, you know, got theirs and caught her and she couldn't run anymore and they did something. You know, those are the two things that are going in my mind. In another twist, Erica witnessed the death of Eugenia Fisher in August 2002. Fisher was dragged through the intersection of West Main and Washington Streets in Norwich before she fell and hit her head. She was 24. From witnesses including Erica, police learned the victim was in the backseat of one car when she began arguing with three people in a car to the right. Both cars were parked at an intersection. Someone in the car on the right yelled a racial epithet at Eugenia. She lunged out of her window. You want to fight? Come on. That's when the driver of the other car pulled Eugenia partly into his window and took off, police said. At some point, the driver let go. He kept driving even after she fell. Police made an arrest in the case in June 2006, and in March 2008, Jason K. McLean was sentenced to 10 years in prison for second-degree manslaughter and evading responsibility. Erica never got to testify. Although she cooperated with police in that case, Friends and family told me Erica was not a snitch. She wasn't someone the cops could turn to for information about drug and other crime in the city. There was one cop. I remember her telling me. One cop kept on bothering her. Oh, I wish I remembered his name. He wanted her to be a snitch, and she says, I'm not telling on nobody. She says, no. She says, when you start telling on people... That's when you got trouble. Erica's friends and family members talk a lot about snitching. In general, they seem to look down on people who snitch to the cops to help themselves out. You can hear the disdain in their voices each time they say the word, snitch. It's a strange juxtaposition because in Erica's case, they really need someone to snitch. And they know it. What happened to her? She was a good mom. She went through a lot of shit. A lot of shit. She was tough. That's Erica's friend, Sarah Mack, again. I wish I knew. You know, I wish I knew who did it. You know, I live by the street clothes. You know, I, I believe in, you know, the whole not snitching shit. But when it comes to her... There's nothing that I wouldn't do to help find whoever. I don't. I wouldn't even care. I would throw that that cold right out the window to find out who did it and why. Like what? That huge thing. So why? It just doesn't make sense. Erica's mom isn't expecting answers anytime soon. I like these stories. Like on the ID channel, I watch them. And, I mean, they solved the case like three, 30 years later. And, wow. Yeah, that's why. They're, they're not going to find anything out in this lifetime. But, see, she, she's 
a queen bee like me, and she won't let it drop. She'll keep it going. The queen bee Carol's talking about is Lisa Mello, one of her three living daughters. Carol, who's 70, expects Lisa to keep seeking answers when she no longer can. What if it was your kid and someone that you know that was close to them knew what happened to your child? Or it happened to your grandchildren's mother? Why, why wouldn't you try and, like, bring closure to the family? Brandon Norton, Erica's oldest son, spoke from his grandmother's Sullivan Drive home in Norwich. He wasn't going to participate in this podcast at first, but he changed his mind when we asked him again last month. Because that person is still out there, and who knows if they're still doing what they did. Like, I could, I could be, we could be just one of the people that they impacted compared to maybe tens of, to twenties of other families. We don't know that because they never found him. He's 21 now and has a one-year-old daughter of his own. It's made me more protective about my daughter and worried about what's going to happen to my daughter when she gets older because I wouldn't want something like that happening to her. I would lose it. Despite those worries, Brandon said he's thrilled to be a dad. I'm happy that I have her. I mean, I know my mom wasn't around much for me and my brother because of what happened, but I'm going to show her that, you know, I'm always going to be there for her no matter what. Everyone's thinking the same thing, but you never want to say it's going to happen or you, they're thinking the same thing. Oh, she needs help or she needs to, you know, do something or she needs to do this. But you always think you have tomorrow. And uh, that's, um, that, I can say that's, that's one thing that's a huge positive that's come out of all of this. Um, I've learned to, uh, for the most part, you know, there's still times where you wait and you say, okay, I got to stop waiting, but you know, I'm, I'm even more upfront. I'm even more um, social and communicative. Jason, Erica's nephew, had wanted to arrange an intervention for her the summer before she disappeared, but he never pulled it off. So I don't wait anymore, you know, not like I did too much in the past, but I don't wait and I, I confront or I bring up a situation um, because I don't want to lose anybody else. I can't lose anybody else. And then um, I, I, I try to impact people and, and catch those moments even more. You know, I, I try to really make a difference in every, with every person I come across. People know about it. People who are still in the Norwich area, I don't think too many people, but I think uh, maybe a couple know about it. And I think, um, I think it will come out and I'm, I have faith and I continue to tell my grandmother we are going to find something and we are going to find the person that did it and it's going to come out and we will get closure and we will move on. I lost one of my best friends because, you know, I didn't, I didn't bother trying. That's Dennis again. And, and I got, I got a son and a daughter. So, I mean, I, I, I watch over him, you know, and it's just, you just learn. And it sucks that we got to learn from our harshest mistakes. So if you could say anything to the person or people who know what happened that night, um, what, what would you say? If I could say something to them, <laughs> I don't think you want to hear that. 
But I, I, I definitely, I'm going to put it to you like this. I'm a very changed individual, and I rely on God a lot. And I would pray that God did not let me have a last word with these people. Because, I mean, they, they, this person took away a mother, a friend, a daughter, you know, a girl that loved life as much as I love life. Somebody that survived shit that an average individual wouldn't be able to survive because they took a survivor away. You know, they took somebody that that meant something to somebody. And the way they left her is just disgusting. And and that's what I would say to them. And I, I would tell them, don't, don't ever, I don't know. I would just hope the police found them first. I hope they rot in hell. And if I could help them, I'd be glad to. I mean, that's how I feel, because even the Bible says eye for an eye. And I know there's a lot of people behind me that are in the same predicament uh, I'm in. You can't get your kids back, you know, and I feel they have no right to take them. Nobody has a right to take a life like that. My mom missed out on 12 of my birthdays. She missed out on most of my brother's life. She missed out on seeing her own granddaughter. Like, there's, there's more than just that. She missed out on my graduation. She's going to miss out on my brother's graduation. But in reality, it's life, and you can't really do much about it. You just got to move on to the next day. If you have any tips about Erica Sirioni's murder, please contact the Norwich Police Department at 860-886-5561, extension 7. The anonymous tip line is at extension 4. Or you can call the New London State's Attorney's Office at 860-443-2835. If you have any questions about the Sirioni case, post it on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash caseunsolved or email us at caseunsolved at theday.com. Case Unsolved is produced by Peter Wappi and me, Carlos Virgen. Reporting was done by Lindsay Boyle. Editing and audio mixing by Peter Wappi. Tim Cotter is executive producer, and Sassy Laranieta is associate producer. I produced the music used in the series. This has been a production of The Day in New London, Connecticut. Mm-hmm.